This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. You're listening to the Millennial Balance Podcast, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. I'm Shaliza Bacchus. I'm Afwaba. What's up, everyone? Hey, we're back. We are back, everyone. We hope you're all doing well so far. You know, it looks like we're almost at the end of this pandemic. I mean... Hey, glass half full. It, I know. It's just that that whole new variant thing. Is I ain't in even going to touch. I'm not even going to talk about Delta. I I'm not going <laughs> to talk about Delta. If anything that I want to hear about Delta, it should be associated with an airline. I, I was about it. to say. Thank we you. We need to be outside. We need to be on vacation. Anyway, one step at a time. Yeah, one step at a time. <laughs> one thing that we do need to take one step at a time, yeah. if it's ever going to happen. Is, is buying a home, purchasing a home, owning something more than a cardboard box on the side of the 401, the side of the 407 if we're lucky. You're you're aiming high. I was just <laughs> thinking like at the back of my like alley because listen, home ownership along with millennials, it's it's just been for lack of a better word depressing because yeah. it just seems like millennials are simply priced out of the market. Like mm-hmm. everything that you see is just like you open your wallet, it's like, "Well, I think I got some lint and a couple of coins yeah. and a half a piece of bubble gum and is I don't know if that's for, enough." <laughs> is that enough for a down payment? But we have the right expert here to, you know, <laughs> to help us through this to see if we can actually manage uh, a, a Apart from getting a cardboard box for a yeah. house. <laughs> the best expert, we should say. He's the host of On the Market, which airs right here on 105.9 The Region. Asif Khan, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's not a lot of pressure, is it? <laughs> no, no pressure <laughs> not at, at all. all. You're just going to try and help uh, you know, the millennial generation try and buy a home. No biggie. Yep. And I've got great news. We have options. Do what? we? Oh, oh yeah. I have well, a lot <laughs> chair felt, there. I, literally. <laughs> You know, there's uh, when you're looking at the average price in the greater Toronto area, I know it's very uncomforting Ugh, and you least. almost feel like there's nothing out there to purchase, but there are options and, you know, we'll get into a few of them. First thing we, we need to do is figure out some financing and what people can afford and, and what they want for their lifestyle because Millennial lifestyles are a little bit different than, you know, the traditional purchasers and where they want to live and, and what they see, you know, moving five years ahead and things like that. So we want to be able to determine what their needs are in terms of lifestyle, and then we can point them in the right direction. What do you think the major differences are between us and the generation above us? You know what? Instant gratification. Um, with... Uh, with our younger buyers, we find that uh, they have specific needs that they need to fulfill right away, like and that's pool. what they're looking to purchase. Yeah. So if if you know if you want something that's downtown where you can walk outside and grab a cup of coffee right away, that's where you're going to go. Whereas traditional buyers would focus on long-term goals. Okay. Thank you for bringing us down to reality. Yeah. All right. Thanks for bringing us back down to earth. You sound so much like my parents right now. Well, he's trying to break it down. He's trying to give us the, the goods, the good details. Okay, so break it down for us. Give us, like, the step-by-step. We're a millennial. We want to get into the housing market. What do we do? What's the first steps? The first step is uh, let's get you to a mortgage broker. Let's find out what you're qualified for. And, you know, secondary financing is always something that uh, we look at as well. And that is where the bank of mom and dad comes in. And there's a lot of parents that have been helping out if they can. I mean, there's many parents that aren't in that situation, but the ones that are, are very keen to get their 
uh, you know, children into home ownership as well. And they're taking back second mortgages or, you know, loans on properties so that the kids eventually do end up paying mom and dad back. But it's a great way to get that extra little boost in down payment to be able to secure a property. Also, the scenario with millennials, you know, trying to pay down debt, of course, linked to school, hearing that um, they are saying they want to pay that down first before they look at home ownership. Is that a good scenario or can they do both? No, that's a great way to do it. And even if you're borrowing from the bank of mom and dad to pay down your your student loans first, because that will affect how much you're approved for. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios where you can get into the market for two and a half percent down. And, and you can also get into the market, uh, you know, it, it depends on how much time you have and when you want to get in. But there's a lot of ways that millennials can become homeowners right away. Can you tell us how? <laughs> I was like, can you I tell can, us how? I can. So, you know, the number one go-to for millennials has been condos because they are what's affordable right now in the GTA. So if you want to live downtown, your best option is a condo. And some of these micro condos, uh, you know, they're selling for five, six hundred thousand dollars. Sometimes you need twenty uh, percent down. Sometimes you can get in if it's a resale for ten percent down. So these are great options if you have the money to go after that. Uh, other options are new build condos. And what we're seeing with new build condos is there's a relaxed down payment structure. So sometimes you have two and a half to three years to save up this down payment of 20% or or even 15% to try and get into your home. And that's a great way for people to start saving and get into a property that's going to appreciate in value by the time you're ready to move in. So you have about three years, property goes up to $300,000 in some instances. So when you move in, you've already, you've stepped ahead of the game because you have that much equity in your property. Co-ownership buying with friends or buying with family members or, you know, brothers, sisters, that's become huge as well. And they're buying, you know, two, three-story homes where they split the stories. And it's, uh, that's been a great way. That started out west in BC and now it's starting to come over to Canada. And another concept is a concept called key living, where you can put down 2.5% on a property. So if you're buying a $600,000 condo, you end up putting $12,500 down. You get into that condo, it's co-ownership with a company called Key Living. And what a great way for you to build equity. And as you're paying your uh, monthly payments, that's going towards your equity as well. So not only is the condo appreciating, you're also paying down some of the, uh, the debt that's there with your monthly fees. It's almost like a rent to own. That's very good to Great know. concept. Yeah, yeah, great concept. Uh, they just started. They have 18 people. There's a thousand people waiting for units right now. That's how popular this has become. Whoa. And, you know, we can guide you with that as well. So, uh, again, three great options and uh, it gets you into home ownership. The, the best thing about home ownership is getting in as soon as you can because now you're starting to build equity. And in a market like the greater Toronto area, this is what you want to do. So then now that we've covered sort of condos, what if there's a millennial that's looking for the home, you know, with the white picket fence? We clearly know how hot the housing market is in the GTA. Is it at all possible or do they have to go outside of the GTA to even get a home? 
If you're looking at co-ownership, then it is possible. Uh, I mean, the, the reality is millennials have great jobs and a lot of them are, you know, working from home. They're going to need some space. So the home may be the answer, but you may have to go into a co-ownership situation or look just outside the GTA. There's so many affordable areas. Even if you look at a market like New York, people say, well, New York is unaffordable. There's a lot of people that live in New Jersey or Philadelphia, and they commute to New York mm-hmm. by train or you know by car. It's not that far of a drive either. So you're looking at different options that people are looking at in order to be close to a hub but still be on the outskirts. And you can do that in the GTA. And there's, uh, you know, our office just sold a, a property for under $400,000 in Huntsville. And it was a townhouse. So there's lots of affordable options. That's, a, you know, an hour and 15 minutes away. There's so much that you can get in that price range if you just step outside. Depends how far you want to be. So what area do you think is the most affordable? Are we going east, west, north of the city? What do you what do you suggest? East used to be the most affordable area, Durham, but right now Durham's on fire since the 407 extended out there. As uh, you know, cities and towns get closer to the core, meaning better transportation, better highways, you're going to start to see the prices rise. Right now we're are looking up north, uh, Barrie, Aurelia, Huntsville, Bracebridge, these are great areas where you can pick up a property that's relatively affordable. And a lot of people from the GTA moved up to Barrie and Aurelia because of the size of properties, because they had pools. And, uh, you know, that's been uh, a step where they've taken in order to facilitate their new lifestyle, which is working from home, homeschooling, not being able to travel, having that luxury space outside or the recreational space outside. So there's, uh, you know, as you go north and as you go east, there's a lot of great areas. And even if you go west, if you go out to Kitchener, Waterloo, if you go out west towards Niagara Falls, you can get into a home for $300,000, $350,000, which is unheard of here. Mm -hmm. But it is doable out there. So say I have, you know, I'm eyeing a property and I'm hearing all of these things about get into the housing market now, get into the housing market now. How much time, like give me a timeline in terms of, uh, how long I should prepare? If you have the money to throw into home ownership, uh, you can expedite it. You need to speak to a, a mortgage professional, and that usually takes a couple of days, three days, four days to get you an approval. As soon as you have your approval, you can hit the streets and start looking for homes with your realtor. And once you find the right home, you're ready to put offers on it. Um, you know, you, you could, you know, the fastest I've seen someone get into a home is about two weeks because the lawyers need time to do the paperwork, title searches, everything. Uh, but if, you know, if you're looking for a condo, it takes a little bit longer because of, uh, you know, status certificates and things that need to be checked with the property itself by the lawyers when you're closing on them. If you don't have the down payment, it's best to put a plan together as to when you're going to have that down payment in place, where you're going to get the money from. And that could take six months, that could take a year. That's where we would recommend new construction because you can space out your down payment. And by that, I mean, you know, you may only have to put uh, $5,000 down now and maybe in a, a few months you put another 15, 20,000 and another 15, 20,000 next year and then another 15, 20,000 the year after. That's a great way for you to, you know, force yourself to save because you're putting it into this new construction condo. and the value is going up as you're saving. So that's a longer term process. That could be a three-year process. 
So I would say anything between two weeks and three years, depending on what you want to do. Red flags. What are some things that millennials should be out looking for? You said it yourself. We live in the, we, whoops, they, (laughs) they live in the moment. (laughs) And so they might see something and they might go, I'm going in. What are some red flags, some things that uh, millennials should be out on the lookout for that they should be cautious of before stepping in? Well, I mean, the first thing is get a realtor because there's often, if the deal is too good to be true, then there probably is. And what you don't want to do is, you know, a lot of millennials say, I'm just going to buy a fixer-upper and I'm going to fix it over time. But once you start fixing it up, there may be a lot of, uh, you know, it's like opening up a can of worms. You don't know what you're getting into. So make sure that you have the right realtor to be able to advise you on what to look for and what to stay away from. Another red flag would be, uh, you know, financial situation uh, or changes that could happen. Your job, you know, how secure is it? Is it a contract position? Is it a full-time position? You want to make sure that you're going to be able to afford this property long-term. And these are these are probably the red flags that I would recommend uh, taking a look at prior to jumping into homeownership. And once those are solid, once you know that you have a solid job, solid income coming in, you know you have down payment coming in, then you're ready to make that jump. Affordability is probably the key. It's been a lot to like unpack. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to take in everything that you're saying and I'm like, okay, okay, so maybe this is possible. I guess maybe I should stop going to Starbucks every day and start to save. <laughs> What do you suggest is is the best way to save? You know, we we do live in the moment. We do kind of throw money at things sometimes. So just how do you suggest that we start saving for home? Set a percentage of what you want to save off of your paycheck. Open up a separate account and use that account to put money in off of your paycheck. So if you're saying, I'm going to put 15% of my paycheck into home ownership, open up a separate bank account as a savings account and start transferring that money as soon as you get paid. Because you're right, you will hit up Starbucks, you know, you'll, you'll see a big screen TV and you're like, you know, I really want that. And and that's what we do. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's that whole instant gratification thing that I talked about earlier. So what you want to do is you want to force yourself to be, you know, hold yourself accountable and put that money away and make sure that uh, it's secure. I'm Better look- throw away that Starbucks card, girl. I know. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Wait, not, a, not if it has money on it. Hold on. <laughs> Fair. All right. See. All right, Asif, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so helpful, especially to us, like breaking it down, making it more understandable for millennials and just anybody really who wants to get into the housing market if you haven't already. Absolutely. And if you're already uh, not tuning in, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to listen to On the Market mm-hmm. with the Asif Khan. It's exclusively here on 105.9 The Region, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m., right, Asif? That's right. All right. Yeah, if anyone needs any more information, you'll reach out and I'd love to come back on the show and uh, give you some more tips. Yeah, where can we find you? Oh, you can reach me at uh, 416-985-CON, 416-985-5426. Or catch me at 11 a.m. on Saturdays on 105.9 The Region. I like that plug there. <laughs> I, like I love it. I love it. Thank you, Asif. Thank you so much for tuning into this edition of Millennial Balance. I'm Shaliza Bacchus. I'm Afua Ba. Until next time. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region.
Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Now, here are Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door and Stefania Secha from the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness with today's guest. Today we have Nick Falvo. I've been following Nick's work for a, a long time. Um, often, so at, at Blue Door, when we say, hey, uh, we need funding for X or Y or whatever, they'll say, well, show me the data. How do I know? How many? The biggest thing for the longest time in York region was, well, how many homeless people? Well, um, and Nick, you know, just, you know, shut your ears for this one. But I remember doing a quick calculation. They called it Mike Math, where I just took the population of Canada, the estimated number of homeless people, the percentage of youth in York region. I came up with this number of 300 youth that experience and it became fact i used I, when i said an estimated number of and that became and but you know what all that to say even though that wasn't fact it gave power to when people could uh do that and, and nick uh who's in calgary now he's a researcher there he's got a phd in public policy but listen you know aside from all that he knows this um sector really really well really really well he spent 10 years um, with frontline agencies in Toronto, um, just learning and, and, and hands-on with it. So it's so cool to have that mix. Um, and now when I see he's done some of the, the best work, I, I think across the country, around the world, that lends credibility, that lets us take that, that data and say, here it is, here's the proof. Here's why you've got to do more. Here's why we've got to change things. And uh, he's just put out uh, a new report just recently that we'll talk about today. That's incredible and will help us moving forward. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me. Nick, you've you've had a unique journey. I think a lot of people, um, they come into this work, they, they, through academia, they just keep going along and they, they do their research and their PhD and they're moving forward. But you did it a little differently. You spent a lot, a lot of time on the front lines. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey and how you moved into the, the research end of things through your PhD, et cetera? Yeah, I was in uh, Ontario in the mid-1990s, and I was finishing a master's degree um, at York University in political science. And my interests had, um, I guess, drifted towards poverty. And uh, I was taking courses that were apparently about poverty, but I didn't think I was learning about poverty. I was, we were reading things that dead people had written. And that, that made sense, you know, 200 years ago at university, it made sense to read books um, and just read books and write about what was in the books. But I wanted to get up there and actually experience what was happening with respect to poverty. So it just so happened, I had a professor uh, named John Saul, whose son, Nick Saul, uh, was in the sector at the time and is still in the sector. He's uh, a huge leader in the uh, food security sector. And I reached out to Nick and uh, he helped me get a frontline position at Dixon Hall working at their shelter. The, uh, I wanted to get more hands-on experience. Uh, the very first shift I worked at, uh, uh, was 4.30 a.m. until 9 a.m. It's a wonderful shift to work. It's great to wake up at 2, 2 a.m. and never know whether to go to bed or not. And so it started there. That, that began 10 years of frontline work in a variety of organizations in Toronto. Um, uh, Street Health is the place I was at the longest. That's at the corner of Dundas and Sherbert. And I was a mental health outreach worker there for seven years. And then uh, I drifted back to academia, decided to finally get a PhD and continue uh, the work. I developed a course while I was doing my PhD on affordable housing and homelessness. 
that was um, a great opportunity to learn some of the basics in the, the major debates in housing and homelessness. And then uh, I've been in Calgary for the past uh, five years now. And did some work with uh, Calgary Foundation on Homelessness, right? Yeah, so uh, five years ago, uh, the Calgary Homeless Foundation took me on as their director of research and data. And uh, then two years ago, I became a, um, uh, an independent research consultant, and I'm the, now the president of Nick Falvo Consulting. And I uh, still get to do a lot of work with the Calgary Homeless Foundation and still get lots of frontline exposure to the, the major debates, but I get to uh, get to write about it. Well, as I've said uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I've been a, a big fan. You've helped myself and the sector and our clients tremendously with your work, uh, with all sorts of research over the years. But today we want to focus on your most recent work, uh, I believe just released in December. And it's where you talked about the impact of the COVID-19 uh, recession on homelessness in Canada. And you did this for uh, ESDC. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of putting this very important work together? Yeah, last summer, um, Employment and Social Development Canada contacted me. They're, of course, the federal department whose major focus, who, who have homelessness as a major focus. They administer the big Reaching Home program, which is an annual budget of about 200 million. Uh, they came to me and they said, look, Nick, we, we had some research ideas lined up going into COVID, COVID hits, and now we've, uh, we're course correcting and trying to make our research as relevant as possible to the current realities of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And they said, we, we'd love to see you put together um, a report looking at the long-term impact of the current economic crisis on uh, future homelessness. And the reason they reached out to me, I think the main reason was that they'd stumbled across a conference paper I wrote about this uh, 10 years ago uh, after the last recession. And I remember writing it uh, very well because uh, my PhD thesis supervisor got angry at me when I wrote it because he said I should have been focusing on my thesis, which is true. I should have been, but I still wanted to write the paper and get to go to a conference and talk about it. And so it's it sort of, we sort of, I sort of resurrected that paper and built on it and developed it with a lot more detail. And so uh, through the summer and early fall, I wrote this uh, report for ESDC. Uh, looking at what we can expect over the next several years to unfold in terms of future homelessness. Yeah, and um, you know, in your report, you speak about a lag of time before we see the full impact of the recession uh, because of COVID-19 on homelessness. And I'm just wondering if you could explain or expand a little bit more uh, on that concept that you talk about in your in your research paper. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, the lag effect kind of goes like this. Um, when a household is experiencing financial stress from job loss, um, typically they don't immediately become homeless. And that is largely because most of us, if faced with dire circumstances, would do absolutely anything uh, to avoid becoming absolutely homeless and to avoid showing up on the doorsteps of a homeless shelter or sleeping outside. So first we would um, see what kind of financial benefits there might be available from senior orders of government. We might see if we qualify for EI, uh, the CERB, uh, social assistance. And we would try to rely on some of those as much as possible and, and try to get back in the labor force to maybe take on a, a lower paying job, maybe finding some casual employment. Try, we try, try to stay put in our, in our housing and we would try to keep paying the bills somehow. We would also uh, rely on friends or family if possible. We would try to ask a relative if we could move into them. 
with them perhaps, if we could move into their basements, if we could sleep on their couch, we might have friends who would allow us to stay, maybe even pay a bit of rent to work out some arrangement. If we're trying to hang on to our existing housing without staying with someone else, we may try to negotiate with the landlord. We may try to see if we can uh, arrange an arrears plan where we, are, we can have up to six or seven months to repay uh, outstanding rent. We might also look to see whether seniors or orders of government are trying to um, prevent evictions. And I know that's a big debate across Canada right now. And so we would try and try to hang on for dear life and to keep a roof over our heads. Uh, and eventually, eventually uh, with some of us, we would end up at a shelter or on the streets, literally. And that lag effect based on past economic um, crises uh, can be between three and five years. So we're now about one year into the economic crisis, roughly. So um, if you don't, if, if cities are saying they're not seeing major increases in homelessness right away, that does not mean they're not happening. It means the lag effect is starting and that it could be another two to four years from now before we see the full impact of the current economic crisis on absolute homelessness. So in many ways, this may be the calm before the storm. And what a... What a terrifying thought that is, you know, and we've at the CEH, we've been sort of looking at COVID-19 as far as our lobbying efforts and coaching, coaching efforts go, um, using COVID-19 as sort of an opportunity to uh, make things happen quickly where normally barriers would appear. We're using this time to kind of clear through them and, and get to solutions. And, and one example was um, commandeering hotel rooms for uh, folks to be able to uh, isolate safely who normally wouldn't have that opportunity. So um, as far as this, uh, you know, this leg that we're talking about, is, is there an opportunity there as well? Like, can it be helpful in terms of preventing and ending homelessness, as, as you say? Very good question. I mean, the bad news is that there's a leg effect and this is the calm before the storm in many cases for, for, for a lot of cities. The good news is that we've got time to plan. We've got time to begin a conversation, to have a conversation and say, look, we know that based on past economic crises, some cities will see a sharp increase in homelessness. Some won't, but some will, we know that. So we've got time to monitor this, but we've also got time to plan programming. We've got time to actually start to think carefully and have a good discussion at the community level about what kinds of programming and enhanced social supports are needed to prevent that increase in homelessness. There's time, there's time to monitor, there's time to plan, that is good news. And so that is one of the key findings of the report is that the leg effect isn't something we're helpless about. It actually gives us an opportunity, it gives us a window of time to plan yeah. Uh, and you kind of touched on this uh, for my next question um, in, in how that impact is going to look or feel differently from city to city. So, and we know that homelessness differs differently from one community to another. So um, will we expect that the recession's impact on homelessness uh, will be the same? Will it mirror that? So will it be different from one community to the next? And, and can you explain or, or, or expand on why that is? Great question. Yeah, uh, the housing market is different in every city in Canada. As uh, my colleague in Calgary, Ron Kneebone, says, he says, we don't have one housing market in Canada. We have dozens of housing markets in Canada. What's happening in Toronto and Vancouver is very different than what's happening in other cities, for example. And so uh, the housing markets are different. The income assistance frameworks in different provinces and territories are different. The homeless system planning 
activities are very different from one city to the next, as you well know. And uh, migration patterns affect this kind of stuff. Uh, we don't know who's going to move where over the next few years in search of, 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 of other opportunities. And so because of all these variables, uh, it's hard to predict right now what exactly is going to happen where. And so what's absolutely key is that senior planners monitor indicators, that they monitor what's happening in their respective cities and in, in the, the, the different cities of Canada. Uh, we have to monitor what's happening with the unemployment rate in each city. We have to monitor what's happening with social assistance benefit levels. We have to monitor uh, the percentage of uh, people in each city experiencing poverty. We have to watch what's happening to median rent levels. And we have to create, I mean, I, I would love to see dashboards in every city, each city having their own dashboard, watching what's happening and adjusting accordingly. And we have to be mindful too, that we do have a rough idea of some of the subgroups that have been uh, affected most by the economic crisis so far. According to labor market data from StatCan, um, it's young people, women, non-married people, and uh, households uh, or persons without high school accreditation. So we, all, we already know which individual groups have been hit hardest. That's at the aggregate level. We have some information. And although there's a lag on some of the data, we do have enough data that we can start to monitor these things and start to say, hey, this city needs this, this group needs this. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, we talked about that before with that, that preventative lens, the work started far before the pandemic, but uh, if there was ever a reason to speed it up, it, it's here now. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. A quick reminder to subscribe to the show on any platform you're listening. And if you'd like to find out more about Blue Door, visit bluedoor.ca. To get more information about the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, go to caeh.ca. See you next time. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.